Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we're going to be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you will love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. We've got a bit of a global thing going on this week, and why not? We've not been out of Blighty since last March, so we're getting our travels in where we can. We kick off proceedings by mixing ourselves a delicious rum old-fashioned made with Santa Teresa, a rum from Venezuela. Then dip into our product reviews, one, Santoni Amaro from Italy, the other, Dimmer's Vodka from the Ukraine. Our bar review sees us savouring the beautiful taste of Japan at Sakara and Seishi, two hotspots in one super cool building in London. And as for our pick from our cocktail library, that takes us from the Caribbean to Central America by way of the curious bartender's rum revolution. Speaking of rum, and keeping with the global theme, we catch up with a global rum ambassador himself, Ian Burrell, to talk what's hot in the world of rum right now and what's in store at the upcoming Rum Fest. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves that cocktail. So because we're talking about rum and we're going to be speaking to the rum ambassador today, I thought it was only fitting that we should make a rum cocktail in his honour. What Ooh, do you think? Very good idea. <laughs> I'm all for a rum cocktail. Yeah. And and also we're doing a bit of global bar trotting this, this week as well. So I've picked a rum from Venezuela. It's called Santa Teresa 1796. And it's a beautiful Solera style rum. You can use any dark rum for this but I just wanted this one. It's a lovely bottle, beautiful rum, and there's some great stories behind it. So I implore you to find out more. But today we're going to make an old-fashioned. It's very simple, usually made with scotch or some kind of whiskey, but it works really, really well with a rum. So that's what we're going to do. I think Gary will like this one. I am all anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see all the ingredients yeah, in your hands. It's, very, it's quite simple to make as well. So you don't need any special mixing glasses or shakers or anything. You just do it all in the glass that you're intending. If you were very efficient and had a freezer full of beautiful different styled, um, different size ice, we would say to have a really nice, beautiful square block of well, ice. Like just one big block. Yeah, because right. it yeah. looks great. And also the dilution is much slower. It feels really delicious and beautiful and elegant. But we don't have one, I'm afraid. We're going to use just some regular cubed ice. It'll still taste the same, but it just looks a little bit... I don't know. A bit posher. Yeah, it's not as great. But anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's the taste. It's all about the taste. Absolutely. So we'll put some ice in our glasses. Yeah. We've got some rocks glasses here. Nice big chunky ones. Yeah. 
but you can, like we always say, use whatever you want, whatever you've got at hand. But it should be some kind of sturdy glass, really, because you're going to do a little bit of mixing in the glass. So you do want something so that's a sturdy quite old strong. tumbler would be yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. So we've got our Santa Teresa. So it's 50 mils per serve or two parts for each glass. Smells delicious. Mm. I'm, get, I'm getting it over here as well. Good. Right. And then there's lots of different ways that you can do this. You can use a simple sugar syrup yourself, but we advise going for a richer one. Usually we would say one part sugar, one part water. But for this, you want a richer style of sugar syrup. So it's two parts sugar, two parts sugar to one part water. Um, and I've done two. I've done a Demerara sugar, and I've done one with a Muscovado sugar. Oh, Both of them okay. are dark, but I just yeah. want to see, I mean, most recipes do say Demerara sugar, but we had some Muscovado in the cupboard, and I wanted to see which one works best. So we're so, compare and Yeah, compare. we'll do one of each. Okay. I'm just giving our sugar syrups another shake just to make sure it's all integrated. These are heavier sugars, and particularly the Demerara, it's quite chunky so you just really want to make sure that everything's dissolved dissolved yeah so about two and a half bar spoons each or teaspoons yeah or teaspoons two and a half yeah i'm watching your measuring to make sure it's exactly half that one my eye yeah that's there that's half yeah that's excellent measuring (laughs) so that's the demerara it's got to be interesting to see how the sugars taste, actually. Because that one, that looks so much richer and darker. Very dark, one, yeah. yeah. But it's it's got finer granules, so it'll be uh, interesting yeah. to see. And then two parts of orange bitters, two dashes, dashes sorry. Yeah. yeah. One, two, one, two. And then two dashes of Angostura aromatic bitters per serve. And that's it, really. So now, nice and simple. yeah, now you just stir. If you have your lovely um, ice block, that would be so beautiful at this stage. Note to self, lots of ice blocks in the freezer from now on. <laughs> yeah. That's the muscovado. Look at the difference in the colours of that. Oh, yeah. oh God, there's quite a few differences mm. in that. Yeah. So the muscovado is much, much deeper, like a oak wood. And then the demerara is, what would you say, like rosewood sort of stuff? Yeah, what, the colour, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, I think that's enough. Mm. And then we garnish with a simple orange peel. It's got nice, juicy. And extract some, extract some of the... From the oils. The yeah. oils directly over the glass. Yeah. Wow, that one's so juicy, it's all over the place. Mm. Brilliant. Okay. Job done. Job is done. But now it's down to the taste test. Okay, so you've so got um, muscovado. Okay, right. Cheers. Cheers, my lovely. Well, that tastes good to me. That's a demerara sugar. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love this one. I don't know about yours, but I love this well, one. Well, let's, let's try. Okay. Going in for muscovado. Mmm, it's close. It is. I think I like the muscovado. Mm. 
I think I prefer Demerara. Mm. So we'll, I'll keep this one then. <laughs> no, but I, I, I do like both yeah. immensely. But I just find this one just a little bit uh, less intense. And I, you know, I think they both really let the the rum shine through. Yeah, so. absolutely. Mm. And this is the kind of drink that once you've got this taste here, you might want to add a little bit more sugar. You might not, but it's up to you to adjust it according to your palate. But that's our rum old fashions. Right, so Gary's going to be making the cocktail next week. What should people know if they want to follow along? Well, I am going to be making one of my very favourite cocktails, the aviation. Brilliant. So all you need, or rather what you need, is some good quality gin, lemon juice, maraschino liqueur and creme de violette. And we will mix it together. So this week, from our drinks cabinet, I have selected Amaro Santoni. And it's a, a new Amaro, and it describes itself on the bottle as an homage to Florence and its treasures, precious flavour straight from the heart of Tuscany. Oh, well, that sounds nice. We love oh. Florence. We love the whole of Tuscany. So having it captured in a bottle is going to be a thing of beauty, I hope. Well, it's funny you should say that, actually, because uh, looking first up, the, we've got it in a, a box as well as a... so, so And it's all very... Look at that. It's all beautiful floral Very floral. It feels box. quite tropical, actually, more than more than Italian in a way, but it's very inviting, it very warm. In, yeah, and that follows through into the bottle inside. And the bottle, um, it's a very elegant bottle. It's sort of... This is a 50 CL, so, and it's a kind of frosted glass, mm. almost like a sort of perfume. And it's beveled. It's round but beveled. Do you think they're trying to replicate a kind of, you know, those lovely Duomos that you see in, in um, Florence and Tuscany and things like that, like the cathedrals? It looks a little bit yeah, like, the, like, like a, that. Yeah, like a dome yeah, at the top. Yeah. yeah. It looks very elegant. and It's a little bit, the, the liquid within has got a pink hue mm. and that's got pink on the design and there's a sort of strip which is carried through the floral design from the box so very elegant is very pretty it's pretty impressions mm. and in terms of the liquid they say it's made with 34 herbs and they've gone back to an original 1961 recipe and i think it's I think it's a family recipe that they've retraced. But it's a new product, but this is an old, old recipe. recipe. Yeah. So, and I think the other thing that struck me about it, I had a look at the website, as well as what's in the bottle. I think they're really going for a whole lifestyle kind of thing. And they even reference on the website, they talk about Fellini and Dolce Vita. And there's a lot of sort of beautiful people lifestyle photography on the website that looks like it would be very at home in a fashion magazine right you know, sort of beautiful people in beautiful suits and dresses drinking yeah this product i guess that's what that places. packaging is all about yeah. isn't it yeah so it looks great um should we have a little there are some serves they suggest which we'll come on to in a moment mm. but let's in true fashion we'll uh Quite neat. Did, are they saying anything about Amaro for modern drinkers? Because it does look like that with the packaging gives out all of that yeah, signaling, really, doesn't I, it? They don't say it in that way, but mm. you're right. They kind of uh, they talk a lot about the lifestyle of the drinker and a modern sort of drinker, and I think it's that sense of it's it's not an old fuddy duddy mm. thing. It's an it's a new way of 
enjoying the good life, mm -hmm. the, the Dolce, Dolce Vita. Vita. So let me pass that over to you. Gosh, that's pretty colour, isn't it? It is. A very nice pink glow about Yeah, it. so that all does go through because it's sort of pinky peachy, all of the all of the um, packaging. Mm -hmm. So it's those sort of tones that are, are coming through and they are reflected in, in the glass as well. Mm. So... It looks like it's going to be lighter than your average Amaro. I mean, lighter in flavour, but it maybe not. Maybe not. And also, I like the, the aroma. It's got a nice subtle bitterness about mm. the aroma. It's not too in your face. So let's have a little sip. It is a lot um, fresher than the, you know, those older amaros as you say it, it probably is from an old recipe but they i think they might have freshened it up a bit yeah for... i think that that's um without wanting to sort of buy into the lifestyle for not going too much that does feel like sunshine yeah it yeah. does and and also that thing i i don't know if my palate has got a lot more bitter than it used to be but that is a really approachable bitter you know what I mean? I, I think before when I used to try Amaro's, they just felt too overpowering for me. But yeah. this one, it's very agreeable. And as I say, I'm not sure if it's because my palate has got more bitter or if this has adapted yeah. to modern palates, yeah. you know. so But, but it's, like it's, it's it's great. It's got a little bit of sweetness, but the... The bitterness, in the same way it was on the nose, in the flavour, I like mm. it. It's just delicate. I think that's the word. I, you know, looking mm. at the flower illustrations on the packaging, I think that carries through really nicely. It's a delicate drink. They um, th they mentioned something. There's rhubarb, isn't there? There's a big thing about rhubarb yeah. in this. And I think that maybe it's the suggestion of that and also the colour of that that's making me feel that it's more floral and fresher and, and lighter. But it does work really well. It really does. What, what serves? do they say well they're they're all sort of pretty standard i mean on the bottle they talk about serving it two parts tomorrow to four part is it tonic yeah tonic so an over ice and i'm sure that would be delightful mm. on the website it's pretty much you know it's an americano a negroni and a spritz mm. so all the kind of things you'd expect but also and this is quite intriguing. There's the fourth and final serve on the website is a says a shaken Santoni, and it says four parts Santoni, but nothing else. It doesn't tell you what to do. Which, oh, but no, which is a shame. But looking at the photograph, it looks like a, a sour. So I guess you'd make a sour with this with. Uh, yeah, some lemon juice and some, I don't know if it would need syrup or what, mm. but it's a shame and, and probably egg white because this photograph they've got. Have they got the froth? It's a beautiful photograph and it's glowing. It's got a lovely head on it. So I guess it is a Santoni sour. If it is, I would definitely give that a go <laughs> because we, do you remember we actually had a, 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 a I think that's some sort of Amaro sour somewhere. Oh, yeah, it would ago. work, work it really amazing. well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would definitely try and work out how to do this because I think it would be worth the, the effort. But anyway, I think it's a lovely drink. It's uh, 16 ABV, 16% ABV rather. It's around £30. I say that because on the site it's in euros. But I, I converted it. I think it's about £30 a bottle for a 500 ml bottle and you can buy it direct from amarosantoni.com so we're going for a little drop of vodka today what do you think about what's your views on vodka i think it can sometimes be much maligned mm. i think a good vodka is a beautiful thing and it's a great 
base for cocktails, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people have it's, it's had this, it's naysayers, hasn't it? But, you know, as you say, if you get a good quality, full-bodied vodka, it's a pretty decent thing. So this one that we're trying today, it's called Dimmer's Vodka, and it's from the Ukraine. It's um, by a lady called Dimma Dejnega. And she founded the brand in 2020. So it's quite, oh, quite recent. Oh, new. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though the bottle itself, well, how would you describe that shape? I mean, it, well, uh, let's break it down. But it looks, first first off, it looks quite classic vodka mm. sort of bottle. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. got an old fashioned yeah. feel do, to do it. Do you want to describe it a little bit? Well, I'm trying to work out how to describe <laughs> the shape, but it's, it's sort of flat, um, flat fronted. I don't know. So it's sort of like a bit of a towering thing. You'll have to look on our Instagram yeah. feed and you'll you'll get a look. But it it's got a long neck, which is great. You can just grip it from the yeah. neck and it's it's perfect for bartenders, I guess, to to pour with. And also the la- the label has a sort of imperial vibe yes. about it, doesn't it? Yes. That's a good word, imperial. It's yeah. a very good word, Gary. And I think that they would be very pleased with that word, actually. It's one of those things where Ukraine and Poland, they sort of fight against who was the first ones to create to create vodka. Who knows? But what we do know about this one, that it uses three grains, so barley, wheat and rye. And it's grown, all of those are grown in this um, black soil in the Ukraine. So it's supposed to give it this richness and rounded mm. flavour. I mean, those are all of the things in the press release and yeah, in, the, in yeah. the notes, but it's always about the taste at the end of okay. the day anyway. And they've they've gone a lot, they've done a lot of research and development and the recipe that they've come up with that we're going to taste, it's been perfected in a 125-year-old distillery. So the people there know their stuff. Yeah. So I'm expecting good things from this. And they don't actually say about, you know, specific serves. I think, you know, in, in true vodka style, it should be be able to enjoy neat. Um, but they really don't, a, a lot of people will say about serving vodka from from the freezer yes. or serving it really cold. They don't. They want it served at an ambient temperature. What they actually specify. Yeah, oh, so you can get the, yeah. the full flavour of it and the richness and the oh. complexity. And that is a bit different, yeah. I think. Also, the other thing that they advocate is serving it with a pickle. So I have some pickles here that oh. we can have it with. So it's a nice little uh, little treat for you, Gary, something to eat while we drink. Which I, I is... also just like it when people make little suggestions like that because yeah. it enhances the, the experience. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lovely little pack of snacking pickles from Serious Pig Company. So these are described as crunchy, tangy baby gherkins. And we love a gherkin. <laughs> So I should have ripped this open beforehand, which I haven't. Uh Oh, my goodness. I can't get it open. (laughs) How the hell do I get this open? Right. Right. I'll hand you the vodka while I I wrestle (laughs) with the... With the package. So you You start talking about it. Well, okay. Well, the first thing I noticed... Ah, she's got them open. Oh, (laughs) relief. Uh, The first thing I notice is that there's a sort of almost uh, an amber hue to it. So it's it's 
got a little bit of a glow to it, which looks nice. Is that just the light in here? I don't think so. I was thinking that at first, but I'm holding it in all different places. I, I don't think it is. I don't think. It looks anyway, quite might... clear to me, but oh, um, yeah. yeah. Any road up. Uh... Mm. It's got good aroma, actually. Mm. Really nice. Let's see. And it's got that thing that we like, that lovely um, viscosity, the... Or the legs, the as, legs the, the as the professionals yeah. like to call it. But yeah. that really does signify that you're going to get something a bit more bit more serious, actually. Okay. Right, I'm going in. Mm. Mm. That is good. That reminds me of, you know, because I haven't had vodkas for a long time, to be honest. But I do like that. That reminds me of a really good vodka in the vodka drinking yeah. days. I, I really like that. First up, I, I really like the creaminess you said about mm. the, the legs in the glass and that kind it of comes through, through doesn't it i mean it's got a lovely creaminess that's that's coats the mouth delightfully and um yeah it's and it's incredibly smooth yes and it's got a it's got a sweetness as well yes, hasn't it, it which really is has. nice and that's it's i think the balance between the sweetness and the, a little bit of heat it's mm. that, it's a really gentle heat yeah it's, it's nice and nice. smooth have you had your pickle yet? no i'm gonna try that now hold on sorry if you can hear the crunch mm. Mm. so this is supposed to cut through and balance it all out so you've got the sweetness of the vodka and a little bit of this tang and sourness from from the pickle does it do mm. the good job for you i think that works incredibly well as an idea mm. it's really mm. good and it is um a tradition, as I say, in the Ukraine to drink the vodka like this. Also a tradition in in the Ukraine is to say budmor, budmor, and that's the toast. Oh, and it means Bordmore. let us be. Let us be. Yeah. Well, that's nice. So shall we do it? Let's do that. Do a little cheers. Budmor. Budmor. So I really like this. Mm, we like that. And I think... Um, with this little serving on the side, that's a nice thing to yeah, do. Yeah, and any for, any type for, of pickle. For friends, you know. Absolutely. So this is Dimmer's Vodka, and it is priced at £35. It's 40% ABV, three-grain vodka, and it's 70 CL, and we... We give that the thumbs up, don't Very we? Very much so. Even if you think you're not a vodka drinker, give it a go. It's a really, really lovely one. And also, if you like martinis or vespers, this would be excellent in a vesper, wouldn't it? And a martini. Yes. Yes, to all, yes to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Dimmer's vodka, everybody. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hello, my name is Mo Aljaf, uh, and I'm a schmuck. Um, I own a couple of bars in Barcelona, two schmucks and fat schmuck as of right now. And my cocktail hack is simply the hand blender. Use it, use it a lot. Um, so if you want to, for example, make a Garibaldi with amazing orange juice that's fluffy and foamy, Instead of having to use a big juicer, you can simply just use a hand blender and just blend the orange juice with nothing at all in it, kind of dry blend it. It will push in enough air to make the juice really foamy and it'll make sure you get amazing Garibaldi's. The same thing works if you're making an egg white drink. If your poor arms are suffering, just make sure to hand blend it before you shake it with ice. 
and you'll get a perfect foam from the egg white. The hand blender is always your friend. <laughs> more from the cocktail lovers see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe you can find out all about it on our website thecocktaillovers.com and also you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine which is available four times a year in digital and print aren't we well yeah within the london well that's it you know it's all about exploring taste through the glass and yeah. and this week's place where we ended up it was actually in what do you call it belgravia or pimlico i think, I think it is belgravia belgravia yeah. right okay but it's a little heart of um, belgravia but it's all about japan in this building well it's the building itself is called the pantechnicon uh it's a beautiful old listed building but they've done this wonderful number on it and refurbishing it so it's somewhere you could actually spend a day really it's got shops restaurants and bars. Yeah, and they really, they want you to spend the day there, sort of starting from the rooftop bar, working your way down to to the buying some clothes, buying some lovely little knickknacks for the house, stopping off for the coffee and a bit of lunch and things like that, until you end up at the bars, which is where we started and where we ended, really. <laughs> In good fashion. Mm. So which one should we start with? Well, I think we should start with the bar that we started in, which is called Sakaya. Yeah. It's a micro bar in a bottle shop. So yeah. actually you can just go in and buy some, you know, Japanese whiskies or sake or things like that, really. But it has a seating area for four people. So it's the smallest yeah. bar in, in London yeah. in, in and a way. It, and it is beautiful space, isn't it? It is very, very small, as you say. But it's all for me, it was all about texture with lots of natural stone and natural wood. And it just felt beautiful. Yeah. And actually, we should echo that for the whole building. Yeah. It's so tastefully designed. You know, if you think Japan design and and also there's a little bit of Scandinavian yeah. aesthetics thrown in too. Yeah. So it's very much about being paired back, very minimalistic, but so, so beautiful. Everything is about the aesthetics and form and function and just giving you the most ultimate aesthetic view of everything, really. So in Sakaya, that is echoed through that. So you've got a wonderful pick of Every Japanese spirit, not every Japanese, no. they've cherry picked the, the best, the, the best of, yeah. of what they have. And that we had a lovely lady showing us round and she was so brilliant, really, really friendly. She wanted to engage. She wanted people to share the passion that she has yes. for the spirits and, and also the cocktails on offer. So. We weren't buying the sakes. We were there to actually try the cocktails that they have. It's not a very big list in there, is it? No. They, no, I think they had about six cocktails. Yeah, there were six cocktails and four highballs. And yeah. they were all £15. Yeah, and, and yeah. also, as we said, they, they had all of the celebration of sake. So they had some sake flights. They've got different highballs, as Gary said. All of them garnished with different leaves. So you have some garnished with the shisho leaf or whatever. And it's just beautiful. You really want to spend as much time in there as you possibly can. And we would recommend just popping in, having a cocktail. What did you have in there? I had a delicious cocktail called uh, Sakura. Mm. And interestingly, we've been talking about the the whiskies and the the sake, but this was made with uh, Roku gin. 
and Sakura vermouth and peach. Mm. And this was a really delicious cocktail in keeping with the aesthetic of the space. The way it arrived, it was very minimalist. It was like a, a Nick and Nora glass, but a tall, thin Nick and Nora glass and no garnish. And it just tasted as good as it looked. It look, it, uh, like I said, it looked refined and restrained, and that's how it tasted. Mm. But what f- did it for me was I really liked the the peach. It kind of just flowed through really delicately right to the last drop. And Actually, I, yeah. that word delicate, it really summarizes everything here doesn't it It, it's about you know the delicacy of the decor but the the balance of the drinks I think delicate is a very key word and it flowed through with my drink where I went for it was called a marimo and it had um snap pea awamaro awamori (laughs) I can't (laughs) say it but it's this wonderful spirit yuzu and shisho tonic and it was so clean so fresh very pure you did get that taste of the snap pea and it it gave it this lovely green tinge to it which was wonderful and yeah you you felt like you were doing good even though it was a bit of alcohol but it was so lovely and it was a really nice place to enjoy it i think that the the way that they've constructed their cocktail list really is reflective of the space that you're enjoying them in so you know i would definitely recommend you can actually book the space for four parties of four or you can just drop in and just yeah. be there on your own i think if you are heading down and you're making a special trip i would probably even if it's just you and a partner or a friend i would probably just let them know because you know it'd be you, they encourage drop-ins but i'd hate to miss out because yeah. it's full but i suppose you could walk around the rest of the space yeah, and, and then, then come back, come back yeah. in you know yeah. but but what we're saying is you really if you're going to this building you must go to this bar yeah exactly and so we started there and then we went downstairs to their actual main restaurant which is called sachi and they have um a cocktail bar up front we we were too late to to get dinner at the actual in the restaurant but actually we had some food at the which at the bar which was to. great yeah. but it's it's lovely again it's all about japanese flavors but you know cleverly done for london palates and actually making it really modern and refreshing and you know delicious really yeah. and i think the space again it was goes almost goes without saying it was very elegant but also what i liked it had it was quite romantic i think it'd be a great place for a date mm, definitely. You, know, you know whether you're in the restaurant but or the bar particularly where we spent you know our time it's kind of dark it's moody it's got, got a really nice kind of luscious atmosphere so great for a date mm. and so you know the the cocktail list here it's much longer there's things like yuzu and cucumber which is a long drink sachi vespa martini soshu manhattan there's miswari drinks there's a harmony old-fashioned and a wagyu boulevardier yeah. which you went for but oh. we'll talk about that a bit later yeah, in total there were 11 cocktails all at 15 pounds mm. and there were also three non-alcoholic cocktails at seven pounds yeah i had what did i have here i think it was the banana and cacao which was lovely banana infused soshu with cacao vodka and nika from the barrel Beautiful. But again, you know, even though it's quite, could be regarded as quite a punchy drink here, it isn't. They've done it very delicate and really refined. It was, it was beautiful, actually. Yeah. Really good. And as Sandra said, I had the Wagyu Bouvardier, 
which was amazing. It was made with uh, Wagyu washed Nika from the barrel, sweet vermouth and bitters. And it was served again, I keep using this word elegant or restrained, lovely rocks glass. But within that was a large block of ice. And on top of the block of ice was a slither of the Wagyu. So it looked amazing when it arrived. And yeah, again, absolutely delicious. A very powerful drink, rich flavours. And I absolutely love this. It's a really great end of the evening drink. Mm. And and they cleverly do that thing where you start at the, the top of the menu is the lighter drink and you go all the way down to choose what, if you want a punchy drink like Gary went for, which was the last drink on the menu. So that's obviously the most intense, but it's nice to let people know that kind of thing. So, you know, if you're in the middle of um, the the list, which I was with the banana and cacao, you know that you're not going to get something that's going to knock you around the chops too much. And you can sort of pace your evening if you're going to have two or three drinks. Yeah, exactly. So we loved it there and we did have some delicious dishes, lots of sashimis and, and all kinds of things, but really, really worth having try and book a table if you can spend some time at the bar then book a table and enjoy the sumptuous feast that it's at this brilliant place Saatchi and the actual building is a revelation so yeah we really recommend not only going but going and having a good old mooch around the whole building and all the details you will find on our website thecocktaillovers.com So in honour of this week's guest, and also because we're going to be talking about Rumfest as well with this week's guest, I thought we had to do something, a book on rum from our library. Of course. So we've had this one in our library for quite a while. Actually, it was published in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, And it's called The Curious Bartender's Rum Revolution. And it's written by Tristan Stevenson. He's written some great books, honestly, on all different facets of cocktails and, and different categories like gin and whiskey. But this one, as it says, is dedicated to rum. How he's managed to produce these books, I'll never know, because it's taken so much time and, and dedication. There's over, it's about 200 pages, 224 pages, and all of them are packed, I must say, packed with information. I will, you know what, I'm going to make it my mission to read this from cover to cover, because I think at the end of it, you will become a rum expert. Yeah. I mean, who's it actually aimed at, do you think? Well, you know, I think it's aimed at people like Tristan, who are curious, you know, yeah. they whether they know lots of things about rum or want to know more about rum or just want to geek out on their favourite subject. And there are a lot of rum geeks out there that want to know absolutely everything about it. And so I think this is aimed at anybody who has an interest in rum at whatever level. I was going to say, so entry level right up to expert. Yeah, Yeah. and, you know, you can dip into it. So some people are not going to go into all of the, the history and things like that, but... Because there's so much love and passion that's gone into it and bloody hard work, I would say, I think it does deserve 
taking the time to to go through it. So it starts with, it, it has an incredible history of rum, all sorts of things that you can think of. And then it goes into how rum is made and, you know, all of the different distilleries and everything from, he actually visited over 50 Caribbean and Central American oh distilleries. Goodness. In six months, you know, and and <laughs> actually incredible. the work is, yeah, exactly. It's all here. So you've got things from St. Lucia, you've got Puerto Rico, Martinique, Jamaica, and my family is um, Ireland of Dominica. There's all sorts of things. So big distilleries, little ones, and it talks about all of the countries and the terroir and their way of doing things. It will talk about pots to distillation and yeah. column distillation, all of the things that you need to know. Some people might want to geek out on that. Maybe they don't. Then there's a, a rum tour, and then it ends with some rum cocktails. And the bit of the cocktails, it's not huge, but actually each cocktail has a page dedicated to it. Right. So, well, over a page, actually. So there's the recipe, there's the rationale behind it, a bit of history, oh, right. lovely okay. photograph as well. So it's a really beautiful book, and I would recommend it for anybody who is who wants to know more about so it. Make a great gift. Great gift yeah. for you or for somebody else. And it talks about over 400 bottles of rum. So, you know, you've got the history, you've got probably even taste it while you're reading. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you you can buy it on Amazon, but I would recommend going to the Curious Bartender website because you can have your book signed and it also has special dedications for you as well. So nice touch. That is a very nice touch. So that's the Curious Bartender's Rum Revolution by Tristan Stevenson. And like everything we talk about, you'll see some details of it on our Instagram feed and website. We want to be Ian Burrell when we grow up. Not only is he one of the nicest, smiliest, most respected people in the drinks business, but as global rum ambassador, travels the world extolling the many virtues of rum. He's a writer, trainer, and TV personality who has conducted masterclasses, seminars, keynote speeches, and rum tastings across all seven continents around the world. He's also the go-to guy for judging global cocktail competitions. Mind you, he's won several awards himself, including International Brand Ambassador at the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards and Rum's Champion at Think Rum. He's also broken the Guinness World Record for the largest organised rum tasting and masterclass in 2014. Correct myself there. Little wonder why he was voted 10th most influential person in the drinks industry in the Bar World 100 last year. As well as being co-founder of Equano Rum, Ian is the powerhouse behind the world's first international rum festival, the UK Rum Fest, which he launched in 2007. And it's back for its 15th year, and it's just what the doctor ordered for rum lovers everywhere. 
Ian, we salute you. Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. Oh, thanks. I didn't know you were talking about that long, that long introduction. I was like, is that me? <laughs> I know. And I also got my tongue twisted a long time. But there's so much to talk about with you, Ian. So we're so happy to have you with oh, us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we, we so are. Ian, now we're going to take you back in time. Oh, no. <laughs> way, way back. Way, way back in time. Um, I believe, we believe, you used to be a professional basketball player yep. and a recording artist, uh, no less. Me. So can you share with us and share with our listener how your love of rum came about and how you became the global rum ambassador? Well, my, I suppose the whole rum thing has always been inside me. It's, um, it's part of my DNA, being a Jamaican. Uh, it's, it's part of our, I always say that rum is more than the spirit. It's actually a way of life. And it definitely was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was it was definitely part of my life. It always just sit in the house, parents drunk it, family drank it. Um, so normally when people say to me, how did I get into rum? I say, I, I fell into a vat like a obelisk <laughs> with asterisks. <laughs> I, my I love that. Then. Yeah. And just a. Uh, uh, found a way to actually make it work for me and for me to work for rum at the same time by uh, uh, being a bartender and then eventually a brand ambassador and then a global ambassador for, for the category. You make it sound easy, but actually it's not as simple as that. You made this happen for yourself, but there's a lot of hard work that went into that. How did you go about getting that moniker for yourself? Well, it was, I mean, well a lot of it's down to belief, believing in yourself, but also understanding that if you want to if you want to actually create uh, or have your own value you have to create that value and not wait for someone else to actually determine what you're worth so working for yourself doing your own thing was always something that drove me um, especially when you have really good friends and mentors uh, around that always uh, putting positive thoughts inside your head so yeah it was it, when I when I started off as a brand ambassador, the first brand ambassador for for rum in the UK, I, I realised the only way to become a really good brand ambassador was to understand a category of rum, uh, understand the category of rum, and then you can really understand your product. And while learning about the other other rums in the in the category, I realised wow, I could be talking about oh, uh, uh, several brands instead of one brand. And I just got the, it just got the bug from there. So that's that's one of the things that drove drove me and is still driving me today that just to try to always learn as much as i can but then share share that knowledge with everyone else and then while i'm sharing i'm just still trying to learn and then carry on sharing so yeah so it's a circle round around circle so but but when did that actually start ian how long ago was that um it seems like a long time ago but it was like the late 90s that's when um, that is a long time ago. <laughs> we're already 21 years into this millennium aren't we <laughs> For the way, yes, it is a long time ago. You're right, and it's gone on so fast. But yeah, the end, yeah, the, the end of the '90s, um, early 2000s. While I was working with Appleton uh, or Ray and Nephew UK, um, in fact, they actually asked me if I could do some of my presentations that I did here in the UK and other countries um, around the world because. What I wanted to do was try to be a little bit different from any other presenter out there. I, I incorporated a lot of things I'd learned from, say, theatre studies, which I did at school. So a lot of work in the stage, love comedy. So some of my favourite comedians, I adapted some of their 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 jokes into my presentations because I always felt that the best way to get information into someone is to make them laugh. I mean, feel happy about themselves, leaving, leaving key anchors um, uh, for them to actually memorise 
the, the, the information you want to put across. So I was doing all of that. And that just, and that's how my name got around. I, mean, I, I never actually applied for a job. As, uh, as, as Sandra said, um, I, I gave myself the name, I gave myself the title of uh, ambassador for rum. But then the rum company started to acknowledge me, acknowledge me for that because of, of the work I was doing. And they were quite happy to start to use me in, in various different ways to promote their rums. So you have um, a thing called edutainment, edutainment? Yep, and I think that's really, really great. Did you that, did you think about this beforehand, or was it something that's evolved over time? It's some, something that's evolved over time through my music industry. Back in the days, used to listen to a lot of rap <laughs> music. There was a there was a rapper in the states that used the word edutainment in one of his lyrics, and when I was listening to that, I was like, "Wow, that's that's quite a great word." I'm yeah. going to steal that yeah, one. Yeah, I'm going to plagiarize it and tweak it and use it for myself to entertain and to educate at the same time but it also fell in line with my beliefs as well from what I was taught in drama when you when you're doing comedy inside there there's lots of ways of actually getting your point across because people are laughing and enjoying themselves and thinking of positive things so it was I think it was just a an apt an apt way to describe how I present I I, I edutain uh, I I love to make people laugh and I love to try to leave little quirky little uh points and facts and stories and, and everything I, I I talk about and tell. So yeah, so edutainment is, yeah, I'm definitely an edutainer. Definitely are. Yeah, I think, Ian, I think you're really understating all the amazing things you've done in the last <laughs> 20 odd years. Could you give us a few highlights? And I'm not trying to lead this conversation, but I do remember a few years ago, you doing some stuff with rum in the is it the Antarctic right, yeah. or the Antarctica? <laughs> I always get the Antarctica, two of them mixed right. up. So tell us about that and a few other highlights, please. It was uh, yeah, it was a couple of years back. It was about I think it was 2013, where um, I was being interviewed by journalists and they were asking about being a global ambassador for rum. And I said, I've been here, I've been there, I've given master classes everywhere. And then as a joke, they said, um, you'd probably want to go to Antarctica soon so you can be a true global ambassador. And I was like... <laughs> That's either a challenge, challenge or, or accepted, a calling, or a calling <laughs> because they're like true global ambassador. I'm like, right, okay. And then, so I, I started looking online to find out how I can get down to Antarctica. And it was also around the same time that I had had other trips planned. So I just I created this concept of going to seven continents in seven months and taking a, a mobile bar with me. And I took this mobile bar made of wood that was flat packed down. You could just open it up and set it up as like a, a two meter across and four meter high bar. And I took that to all seven continents within seven months, made some cocktails on there, did some talks and presentations. And the first one actually was Antarctica. I'm on the way there. I ended up going to uh, South America. What, what did America. you make in Antarctica? I made uh, painkillers. Uh, we've done that. <laughs> seems apt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's so cold. Uh, navy rum, uh, cre- um, uh, cream of coconut, a bit of pineapple juice, orange juice, a bit of nutmeg, and that went down really well. Uh, made it and made some grogs because that's the the, sh- the drink that they drank on the ships back in the day. So when I was doing talks on the actual ship, it, it was appropriate to make grogs on the ship because we were actually in open waters for like two days on the way to the peninsula. But it was great. It was actually brilliant. Got to go to a research station, brought some rum down to them. They had a bar there. Uh, so we made some drinks on the bar. It was, so it's the most southernest bar in the world. It's called the Faraday Bar down in Antarctica. So yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And But I'm, I'm looking to go back again. Uh, again, um, I was supposed to go last year, but that was cancelled because of the pandemic. Um, so looking to go next year and but for this time mainly to raise money for charity and create awareness yeah i want to get i want to get a thousand people to donate 50 pounds to see me freeze because i don't like the cold 
Yeah, but you must keep us informed about that, Ian, so we can sh- shout it out to all our uh, all our listeners. So also, Ian, I mean, so many brilliant things that you do, but you've also recently launched your rum, which we have with re- with re- reviewed on this podcast. Reviewed? Well, we I don't sure. Okay, <laughs> we've reviewed on this podcast before, and we love it, both the dark and we and really the light. do. Brilliant. So brilliant. tell us, because it's taken you a long time to put your name behind products what was it about this one and tell us why people should be buying it well first of all they should buy it because it's a good tasty rum and- exactly <laughs> but we want you to tell them <laughs> um, reason number one yeah. i mean it was a case of the, the my business partners they they approached me of an idea to do a a rum brand and i i basically shot it down and said that's not going to work <laughs> straight away uh, but if you want me to help you do do it i can help you do that because as a consultant for other brands i've helped create other rum brands before doing tastings consultancy and, and strategy for those brands but you know sometimes you just get a time you know when you come to a crossroads and you just feel that the time is right when i sat down with these guys and we was coming up with some ideas i felt wow you know what Maybe I should be working with them a little bit more on this and actually putting my name to it, actually invest in it, which I actually did invest in my, my own money into the actual brand and as such. So a lot of the ideas that I'd had in my mind that had been floating around for, for years started to come out. And one of them was to do an African and Caribbean rum. As my ethnicity here in the, in the UK is African Caribbean, it would have been it's nice to actually bring rum from the, the, the mother continent to the Caribbean, which is the epicenter of the rum world. But the Caribbeans were influenced by Africa. So it's almost like going full circle. And so to do an African Caribbean rum had been a dream as such. So this was the opportunity to do that. And everything just fit into place. When we decided it was going to be an African Caribbean rum, we felt about where we was going to get the liquid from. Africa has uh, some amazing sugarcane distillates, but no rums internationally that are really known, except for places like Mauritius and Seychelles and Madagascar, Reunion, some of the islands, satellite islands off the main uh, center of the African continent. So it was a case of looking to get rums from there and then sending it over to one of my favorite rum makers in the world, Richard Seal in, in Barbados. And I put the idea to him and he loved it because he loved the idea because he's a hard person to, uh, <laughs> to, to to work with and get and talk to just because he is a bit of a maverick. But yeah, once the idea of where the rum was going to come from and then the African and Caribbean component, the name was, it was the name we were looking for. And again, it was almost like Alaudio Recuano called us because it was like that light bulb moment when, wow, Equiano rum. Alaudio Equiano was an African taken from Africa to Barbados and then came here to England. And that's the same journey our rum has made. But this guy was, as we know, is one of the most important people that a lot of people don't know about. Wrote an amazing book, The, in- the Interesting Narrative of Alaudio Equiano, which was a- the story of-, of himself, an enslaved African the journey, the middle passage from Africa to the Caribbean, um, what it was like in the Caribbean as an enslaved African and what it was like growing up in the UK. It went on to inform the transatlantic slave racks of 1807 to help with the abolition of, of slavery. So that's how important this guy was. And we wanted to pay respect and honour him by putting his, by using his name on the actual bottle. But there is a connection to run with him because he bought his own freedom for about £40 and it was trading in the, in the in the Caribbean and parts of the stuff he was selling was rum, rum and spices he was selling. So rum is an important part um, of his story and his journey and how, how appropriate that 
this guy sold rum to gain his freedom and uh, we're, we're using rum and his name to try to help create freedom by donating 5% of our profits to ground level charities and organizations. Uh, at the moment, we're, we're donating to Anti-Slavery International. That's $2 and two pounds of every bottle sold from our website. But we're just looking to see if we can give back and help in any way possible with uh, this brand. So yeah, so that's, that's the reason why I decided, right, I'm going to get involved and put my name to it. It's fantastic. I mean, it's not only does it taste good, the bottle is beautiful and you're doing a good cause. So we absolutely love it and we oh, do recommend everyone. We to really buy do. It. Yeah. We've been absolutely. we've been making your pina coladas, by All right. the way. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we made it on a previous episode. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and we a party. Love since, it. Oh, no, well, yeah. And at a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The clarified version. Um nice in the fridge and just bring out the bottle that's beautiful dehydrated pineapple as a garnish ah listeners listening for that one it's coming up okay so apart from the rum and you talking about your various initiatives rum fest it's another massive part of your activities it launched in 2007 and it's still going strong 15 years coming up Yeah, yeah this month in october so tell us what can people expect well, it's, it, it's almost like we're starting again because last year was a very small hybrid version because of, of, of course, uh, the challenges that we all had being uh, in large venues. So we had to do a smaller version last year. But what it showed us was the power of, of, of course, of uh, Zoom talks and meets and Google meets and things like that, where the speakers and the educators don't actually have to travel to the UK to uh, spread their rum love. So this year, as well as being back in our in our home, um, the ILET Conference Centre down in West London, we're going to have a lot of speakers actually being in their homes in the Caribbean and the tropics and just zooming in and talking about their rums. So you can get a taste with them. They'll be able to see you. We'll be able to see them, but not as not actually physically. And just because they want to make sure they stay a little bit more safe until as many people as possible uh, have that mentality where, well, we're, we're back to where this is our new norm now. We can travel, we can be here, we can be in the UK and we can drink and party. We've also made the decision to only make it one day this year as well for the actual rum fest itself and split the session into two sessions just to keep the numbers down and and keeping the to, to make enough space for uh, as many people as possible so you don't have pinch points inside the actual venue so yeah so we split it to split it over, over one day in two sessions and we've created a new spice rum show as yes, well yes i've heard about yeah, this yeah. come and on tell us and as you've seen uh, there's a ma- there's a rise over the last two years three years there's been a rise in spiced and flavored rums especially here in the uk so we felt that i felt that i wanted to create a dedicated show for these spice rums and to show the differences of, of what they are and how they're made and whether you defi- would define your product as botanical rum or uh, an infused rum whether you bring your products in from abroad and then spice it up or you make it from scratch do it here in the uk we want to show all of these spice rums in all their glories and get people drinking them in in the ways they may drink like gin <laughs> as such why right? when we over the years we've all, all three of us have heard Oh, rum is a new gin. Rum is a new gin. I'm like, no, rum is not a new gin. Rum is a new rum. Rum is rum. Yeah, yes, rum is exactly. Rum. Spice rum could be the new gin. Yes, <laughs> yes. the way it's the way it's promoted, made, and the way it's been drunk. When people come over to to Rumfest. 
do they get an opportunity to taste different rums? They go and, you know, engage with the different people. Tell us how that bit works. Yeah, so you you get your you get your little glass and your little bag and little map, and then you can go around to the various different stands and booths and sample and taste rums from all over the world. And also learn from the people that make the rums, the blenders and the brand ambassadors and the distillers as well. And and I remember when we first when I first created Rum Fest back in 2007, the most memorable moment was this little old Jamaican lady having a sip of an Australian rum. And she was <laughs> terrified and petrified of the taste. She was like, this is disgusting. Oh, it is. <laughs> this is terrible. She was used to drinking Appleton rum. And, but what it was, what what it what it showed was she had discovered that they actually made rum in Australia. She didn't know that they made rum in Australia, even though it was terrible in her mind. But that's what Rum Fest is about. It's about discovery. It's that journey of discovery and learning about rums from all over the world and, and their cultures and um, the nuances, the different nuances. So, yes, so Rum Fest, you still be able to do that. At least about 400 rums uh, uh, to sample and taste in each session. And, uh, yeah, and lots of water to, uh, to uh, yourself. <laughs> quite right. It's interesting you actually just mentioned 400 rums so obviously you know people who want to get into rum you know there's a lot of people who they've maybe had it in a cocktail in a long drink whatever um, but they want to start taking it a little bit more seriously investigate it understand it obviously in an ideal world we can all come along to rum fest but (laughs) if we can't and we're at home but we really want to get into our rum can you give us a few insights tips you know, how do we start? What do we look for? You know, how does rum work? Right, that's a great question. So, rum, rum, unfortunately, in some respects, is um, is a, uh, is a victim of his own success. A lot of the most popular rums are the more affordable rums, and they some people say, well, they don't bring as much to the table. So, I'm going to mix it, and that I'm not going to drink it neat or with a couple of cubes of ice, and I don't give it the type. It's not afforded type of respect as like a scotch or a bourbon or a cognac. But when we think of Scotch bourbons and cognacs, they are made, they are whiskies made in one particular region. And that's how we have to look at rums. So when we look at rums, as a person that's trying to get into rums, look for a country of origin and then start off there. Let's so let's say you've started off um, in Barbados and you try a Barbados rum. Then drink another Barbados rum and see if there's similarities, because it may be a style of rum that you like. And you might say, wow, you know what? I like Barbados rum. Because now what you're doing is you're you're making that discerning difference between a Barbados rum and then another rum. You might try Jamaican rum and say, oh, no, this is terrible. <laughs> this tastes too heavy. It's too funky. Um, but what you're not doing now is saying, oh, I don't like rums because they're bad. You may say, I don't like Jamaican rums, but I like Barbados rum. Because I know a lot of people that like, say, Scotch whiskey, but don't like bourbons. They found them yeah. sweet. Or bourbon drinkers who say, oh, I, I don't like Japanese whiskeys. They're too much wood and too expensive. Um, but I love my my bourbons or my rice because they're now typecasting or um, stereotyping a style of rum. So I would say find a rum, taste it if you enjoy it, find out where it's from, how it's made, ask those questions, and then see if there are other rums that are very similar to that style of rum you're drinking. And then you'll find your own way because everyone's on a rum journey. Some are just starting off and some are a little bit way uh, further down the line, but everyone's on a different rum journey um, when it comes to understanding and appreciating the spirit. And what about rum cocktails that people can make at home? So some simple cocktails, because it's it's lovely, it's sunshine in a glass and we want to share that. So what would you say about that? 
It, it definitely is. I mean, um, you can always run this test. Just say to just say to any any guest, think of think of a uh, five rum cocktails, or think of five cocktails, and they'll always say a couple of rum cocktails. There's always a smile on their face because that emotional connection. You don't get that with a vodka martini or a chip martini. <laughs> <laughs> <Like> more depressing. <laughs> when you think of pina colada, you think of the mai tai, yeah. and the and the daiquiri. You're thinking of Cuba. You're thinking of Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's that that it's a fun. You're right. It's a fun drink. It's a fun in a glass. As such, so easy cocktails. I think for me, the best way to really expose rum in a cocktail is the king of rum cocktail which is a daiquiri a rum trinity of rum lime and sugar and each daiquiri is made in the way that you want to drink it the recipe for a daiquiri is just a guideline some people like them a little bit sweeter some people like them more drier um, some like it more citrusy some people might like it more rum forward when i make it just a standard daiquiri i just do two parts rum one part fresh lime juice and then half a part of simple syrup give that a good shake of ice either strain it or pour it over on the rocks and you got a really nice balanced easy making drink and then you can just and that's the and that's just the foundation and um, of other drinks you can just add layers onto them to create other cocktails so the daiquiri is what i would say first the easy drink to make at home i'm happy with that i'm very happy with that and you, you did mention earlier you know we mentioned earlier about rum is always going to be the next big thing but what about uh our, I know you must love all your children, but are there any ones we should be looking out for? Apart from your own, obviously. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I mean, the thing is that what I'm like, what I'm really loving is some of the like established old companies, basically they're growing with the demand of the new rum drinker out there. So they're experimenting with different types of finishes and different types of casts just to create different types of conversation. Now they're not looking to sell hundreds of thousands of bottles. They'll do a couple of thousand, but it keeps the rum geeks at the top end really interested into the actual brand. So you'll have companies like Mount Gay, one of the oldest rum brands in the world, if not the oldest, they do things like um, using different types of finishes on their established rums. They're about to release one in October. I'm trying to remember if I'm allowed to actually say what the brand, what cast they're using. Because I was in Barbados a couple of weeks ago, tasting it in, tasting it from the barrel. And I can't remember when they said I'm allowed to. Don't worry, know. Ian. It's just me and Sandra listening. <laughs> oh, okay. That's okay. No one else is listening. But yeah, so they're using, they're using a barrel from a, a reputable wine barrel from another South American, from a South American country that's not really known for their rums. And they're going to use that just to finish off this particular Mount Gay rum. So it just adds something different to the established Mount Gays that everyone can buy and drink in all the supermarkets as well. So they're catering for a wide audience from the uh, person on the start of the journey, just getting into their rums that may want to just have rum and coke but a really good taste in barbados rum right up to like the rum geeks who want to know different types of casts different types of finishes and they want more of a barrel proof strength as well so seeing a lot of those type of products so malgate are doing that appleton are doing the same thing limited edition products and then of course foursquare every every couple of months every about four or five months they would do a new release that is highly sought after by rum collectors around the world so uh those are exciting, those things. Um, and of course, there's, there's so many so many great rums. It'd be unfair for me to actually just highlight a couple. Absolutely. And also, to be fair, people should come to Rumfest to discover them for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us, Ian, before we sign off, what are the dates and the times and the details that people need to know? 
Okay, so Rumfest is actually two days. So we've got the, 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 the main Rumfest, which will be on the, uh, the 16th of October 2021. It starts at midday till four, and then the evening session is from five till nine. Tickets from uh, the website um, rumfest.co.uk. And then we have the Spice Rum Show, which will be in the upper part of London, because Rumfest will be in West London. Rum, Spice Rum Show is in East London, and that will be on the Sunday. It's a Sunday afternoon show. We actually start off just after Sunday. You, you might have like a Sunday brunch. So uh, just after that, so we'll start at two o'clock till eight and we'll have lots of different spice rums there. We'll have my friend Georgie Radeff from Lackey Kane doing like spice rum masterclasses, how to make your own spice rums. You'll get your little glass, your cup, and you get to try the spice rums. I have your favorite mixers and try one of my lucky magnificent sevens from the bar there'll be dj uh, djs there playing music so it's gonna be like a fun afternoon in 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 hackney in, in clapton i should say tasting and sampling some of the best spice rums on offer here in the uk so and that's on the 17th of october so rum fest on the 16th the spice rum show on the 17th marvelous and we'll have all the details on our website as well we will be there we're really looking forward yeah, to it a live, live podcast from there <laughs> <laughs> we should we should well thank you so much ian and we look forward to seeing you at Rumfest. okay great yeah, thank you thank you again Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.